Welcome back to your favorite new podcast. It's called Wild Quincy. Chris Ketters with Travis Hoffman. Travis, uh, we've had some fun in the last few weeks with our episodes and uh, had some fun with Rodney. Yeah, Rodney's a great guest. He's such an anime. He he, he just brings it every time, and we can't thank him enough. And uh, it was fun. It was real fun. Yeah, it was. And make sure to check out, uh, we, we had the opportunity to do a Patreon episode with uh, Rodney as well. So if you're not a Patreon member, check that out. Because, uh, Travis, it was by far one of the most uh, in-depth Patreon episodes we've had. I actually got done with that, uh, recording that a couple of weeks ago and went to my thought to myself, wow, like that, that was thought-provoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of times it's kind of lighthearted and most of the time it's lighthearted but we we kind of got into an interesting discussion about media and society and you know just how very various political bends can maybe affect and we kept it neutral um but it was it was really really a great conversation chris yeah it was like the overall view of just society of media in general which was just great so make sure to check that if you're not a patreon member uh check that out but we also want to mention Travis, we have some new Patreon members, and we've got to give a quick shout-out real quick uh, to two of our new ones, Scott Hudson and Kevin Anderson, both joining in, and uh, one of them chose the uh, Kelly Salad Bar, and one of them chose the uh, Jeff's Medium Special, so kind of a selection of the two choices that you have for the uh, Patreon membership there uh, on Patreon.com. Thank you guys for joining in. Welcome to the party. Everybody else is welcome to jump on in. A couple uh, couple bucks a month will get you additional content and it's a great way to show your support for wild quincy for sure now travis i know you have a pile of uh, paperwork in front of you <laughs> here so what other homework do we have to take care of lots of lots of listener feedback we've we uh i think we kind of held the garden hose pinched for a little bit and decided to let it all out right here so i got a few kind of thank yous for dropping some lines randy phillips sent in a some actually some uh, audio for us to use potentially with some old commercials so we're still sifting through that uh, thanks so much randy appreciate that also had some helpful information regarding doc's air park the first restaurant in quincy to offer delivery service food turns out we were all a little bit wrong on the location the, the actual location is if you're familiar with the shell station in west quincy it was behind there the actual hangar is still there he was kind enough to throw a uh, a couple like map views aerial views so i'll make a note to see about posting that somewhere related and uh, we can we can share that with everyone so we're all in the know Dakota Epley messaged us on Facebook regarding the location of Doc's Air Park as well. Chris, I think we were all going back and forth on speculatively where it was. And I think you were you may or may not have been thinking of another restaurant, the Mississippi Grill that was over there that got knocked out in the flood of ninety three. They had that large barge sitting yeah, there. Yeah, it got replaced by a barge. Yeah, well I think the plan was <laughs> they were gonna build on top of that and it just never happened. Who else? Joseph Newkirk was nice enough to drop us an email saying he enjoyed the show with uh, Rodney. He is a contributor for the Herald Wig for the Quincy Historical Society. And his next article, I believe it came out on Mother's Day, uh, he talks about the Empire Theater and the first talkie or moving picture in Quincy. So just 
serendipitous that uh, you know the his the first talking episode, <laughs> the first talkie is happening soon after our first uh, Quincy first episode, Gym City first. So that was interesting. Thanks, Joe, for giving us a shout. Sarah Platt, you may know her from the Sweet Apricot Shop, located actually real close to where Freddie Lee went missing. Throwback to a previous mm. episode. I had some great words about the podcast. And, you know, she's been digging into her own family history, and there's lots of interesting characters she's stumbling across in her own family tree a little higher up, involving one one being a very a woman who was uh, committed several murders, and just a lot oh, of wow. interesting characters. So I ran into her at the Dogwood Parade. She's actually uh, the mother of a, one of her, her daughters and my daughter were in the same daycare class for a long time. So was, we, we huh. each yeah, heard stories about each other's, you know, daughters from our daughters. And so it was great to run into her at the Dogwood Parade. Um, I think that is everything on the listener feedback. Please do give us a shout, uh, wildquincy at gmail.com or give us a shout on the comment line, 612-666-9453. That's 612-666-WILD. Okay, Chris, that was a mouthful. What else is going on, man? Well, there's a couple things that you made me think about as you were talking about that stuff. We're in our last section. So if you've noticed how we've done our episodes, we, we have like four categories, and we, we kind of do those four categories and then reset every time. This is our last rotation of categories, and then season one of Wild Quincy will be in the books. It will be wow. finished up. However, we uh, as Travis kind of alluded to, we are by far... And I want to repeat that. By far, not experts at Quincy <laughs> Quincy history. Lovers, not experts. Exactly. So we've had some information that's come to us after we've done our episodes that kind of uh, make us kind of rethink things. So what we're going to do at the end of this season is we are going to do a, a like a season recap. And we're going to have uh, kind of just a fun laid back episode that's going to be coming for you after episode 12. That's just going to explain all the stuff that we missed or stuff that we wanted to talk about. I mean, I've gotten, you know, emails after the fact from different libraries sending information about certain certain projects and certain things we've talked about. I never got around to check, you know, adding those on or, or sending those to you. So we're going to have a season recap coming up at the end of the season and then we'll be jumping into season two real quick there uh patreon by the way we will be taking a little break between season one and season two but not if you're a patreon member uh we'll still have those uh cool uh, bonus after hours episodes for the wild things as we've now referred to them as that's right become a wild thing by joining our patreon <laughs> Yeah, we, uh, we we decided to make uh, make a title for those uh, special people that are on our Patreon of being the wild things. Uh, and Travis will sing later for there you. There you on, go. Yeah, on, absolutely. On that song. Uh, but uh, so be looking forward to that. We have, uh, again, four more episodes coming up. Really excited about what we got coming up. We'll tell you more about that uh, towards the end of the episode of what we have coming up uh, as we get closer to the end of the season. But Travis, I think uh, we're ready for a question of the day. Yes, I'm always ready for a question, Chris. What do you got on the agenda? <laughs> So, Travis, I've told you this before. I'm going to say it again. I think this is a softball. I think you can get you this always one. say that. You always say that. <laughs> so, well, here, here's your question of the day. When was Quincy's first fire department founded? Mm. All right, here's your choices. And you think, 18- oh, I get choices. Okay. I thought you, you were do. just you wide four open. Choices. Okay. No, no, I won't make that hard <laughs> on you. Four choices to choose from. 1838, 1866. 1895 or 1925. Okay. So that is the question again. Uh, when was the first or when was Quincy's first fire department founded? 1838, 1866, 1895 or 1925. Very good. Well, the answer for that. 
at the end of this episode, so stick around for that. But right now, we're going to be digging into not so much digging, but floating, as we're going to be on the <laughs> levee talking about the levee walkers right here next on Wild Quincy. <laughs> This is Mona Brown, and you're listening to Wild Quincy. Now, back to Travis and Chris. Back here on Wild Quincy, and Travis, we're digging into the unexplained this week, and uh, we're digging a little bit deeper in our unexplained category than maybe we have in the past. Travis, give us the ooey-gooey details of how we're starting out this episode. Right, No. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. We're taking one extra step further than we've yet to meander into the wild side of things, Chris. A lot of things we've covered have been very historical, very well-documented, but the part of a city's history isn't always the black and white that make it in the newspapers. There's lots of color, there's lots of stories, there's lots of lore. And that's a big part of this that I want to talk about in Wild Quincy. And we're going to start at an urban legend that I I didn't experience in high school, but it was all the rage among friends called the Levy Walker. And were you familiar with this before we started talking about it? I was not. This is all new to me. Of course, you know, you you graduated in the Quincy Quincy area. I graduated in Payson. Um, So it wasn't, we were more worried about putting hay bales as a senior prank in front of our doors at our high school (laughs) than we were about the folklore stories. We all had priorities. (laughs) Well, here is the legend of what what people would, would expect to see. What happens is that you would head down to the levee. It was always pretty vague where at, somewhere north of Quincy along the river on the levee in the bottoms. And it was possible, Chris, if if you went there at night, you could see some kind of mysterious light that would approach from the north. Now, several accounts that I've heard about say it's a basketball size, maybe it's it's orange to white to yellow. Just just a lot of different accounts, but it is pretty similar. They're about basketball size, and it potentially could charge you as if it were angry. And, uh, you know, it sounds crazy just at face value, right? I mean, it sounds a little yeah. bit nuts. However, I know of at least more than I can count on one hand, shall we say, of people that swear, that swear that they have seen this thing. So... If they're seeing something, the question is, what are they seeing? And that's that's what we want to talk about. First of all, let's circle back here to what the story is here, because there's a couple different origin stories about what the Levy Walker actually is, um, which is great, because all great urban legends are very shrouded in mystery and vagities. Uh, the first origin story involves when the levee was being constructed, one of the workers got into an altercation with a few other guys about someone's wife. And uh, one thing led to another, a fight broke out, and one of the men were killed. Trying to cover things up, they buried this body of the dead man in the levee and just tried to cover things up without the proper burial. It's said that this man's ghost walks the levee in search of his body or someone that will help him find it. Story number two. In the late 80s, kids often went down to the river bottoms as the levee provided a pretty good place to do things that maybe you wouldn't want to get caught doing by your parents. And uh, things would get a little rowdy down there. 
Allegedly, a man lived pretty close to this area where the kids went to. One evening around 11 p.m., he had enough and decided to give these kids a fright that would hopefully run them off for good. So he threw on some dark clothes, grabbed a lantern, and set out towards the kids walking along the levee. The kids looked on dumbfounded as this strange light swinging back and forth was getting closer and closer. As the light continued to grow closer, the kids began to panic. They just haphazardly loaded into their vehicles, hell-bent on getting out of there. As the man grew closer and closer, the driver panicked and in confusion threw the car in reverse, gunning it, and that car shot backwards and slammed into this man. And they were freaked out. They just sped off. They drove off. They didn't stop. They didn't know. As they're driving off, I mean, their their heads cleared up a little bit. They thought, let's go back. Let's, we got to see what this was. What was this thing we hit? They go back to where they were at. On the ground lays a broken lantern. No body. Nothing. Hmm. Uh, legend is the old man, living or dead, continues to patrol this levee at night on the lookout for kids causing trouble. That's a pretty fun origin story. The next yeah. one's a real curveball. Chris, what are you thinking so far? These sound familiar? Yeah, um, give, me, give me the third one, and, and let me uh, – I'm going to process this a little bit. Give me the third one okay. first. The third one's, the third one's very, very short and very blunt, no, pun intended. Uh, as the flood water rose and, test, and tested the levees during the flood of 93, there was a hippie who was walking along the levee, taking things in while getting high. As the levee gave way, this person was killed. The levee walker is said to be the ghost of this person continuing to walk the levee in death, maybe looking for that next smoke. <laughs> so that was a little, little of a 180 from the previous origin stories. Yeah. And those seem to be every origin story that I have run across in hearing other people recount this thing. What are your thoughts, Chris? So, yeah, and I guess that was my question, um, kind of leading in, is these are coming from individual people. This is not something that was, like, in the Herald wig or, or some sort of report, right? Absolutely. This is this is all word of mouth. Just, I, I know it's real because I heard it from a friend of an uncle whose cousin knew a, his brother. You know, one of those stories, you know, Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. situations. So it has all the makings of an amazing urban legend. And I... To your point there, I got curious. Chris, was there any kind of historical evidence that would back this up, lead any credence to any of these crazy theories? And while there's nothing that's verbatim for, for like any of these situations, I did run across a really horrible incident that took place there that was real close to, the I think, the location in question. And let me just okay. throw this out there. Tuesday, October 24th, 1893, 17-year-old Victor Bravery, he was accidentally shot and killed in the area that we actually ended up investigating, Chris, and we'll talk about that in a minute. That's about 15 miles north of Quincy, near the river. While out hunting, Bavery and a friend were jumping in and out of a horse-drawn carriage, shooting ducks. One would be driving, one would be back in the car, and he would jump off, shoot a couple ducks, and move on. So they were doing their thing, they had their guns loaded, ready to go. Suddenly, the horse turns sharply, and both boys are thrown out. In the fall, one of the guns was discharged and shoots Bavery right in the stomach. He lay on the ground, tragically slow death. A farmer was nearby, rushed to the scene to try to help. His companion tried to get help. At this point, this is 1893, that's a huge Mm -hmm. trip to get to somewhere where you could even find a doctor, Chris. 
Right. So this whole time, this kid lays here dying for three and a half hours, begging for the farm to shoot him in the head and put him out of his misery. I mean, mm. this is pretty traumatic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're no stranger to the world of paranormal, and there's a lot of theories that say traumatic events might make way for some kind of lingering spirits, maybe. Does, does this correspond to the legends? Not really. No, I mean, and I don't know if we're, you're going to go down that road, but I, I can sneak something in real quick that, you know, there is a couple of correlations, especially with the water. The water is always a big thing, um, but, you know, uh, limestone and, and quartz and all that stuff. I mean, you always hear stories about, you know, those sorts of things. But, you know, to have one incident happen like that, I'm mean, really cool. That uh, What year was that? that uh, 1893. The, the, yeah, okay. So to have one incident like that happen, and especially in such a wide open area, I yeah. mean, what, <laughs> I'd have a hard time believing that that spirit's like, man, this levee looks like a good place to walk. <laughs> Let me just walk there every night. Sure. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, though. Very interesting. Well, let's, okay, we've got the origin stories. We've got what people are alleged to see. Let's break this down. If people are seeing something, let's talk about what they might be seeing and we're going to we're going to take a take a walk on the paranormal side here and we're going to take a rational walk on something the explainable side let's start with the paranormal chris you you kind of talked about it a proximity to water um, there are a lot of hypotheses in the paranormal world that running water might be used as some kind of energy source almost mm-hmm. uh, like a like a battery or something for paranormal energy and the thought behind this is that paranormal activity is uh, sus- suspected to be electrical in nature. Water being electrical conductor may somehow heighten the ability, the proximity of this location to the water and the little kind of marsh- marshy lands around there. Maybe that might help foster an environment where something paranormal could exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, another theory, and I ran across a real interesting report about uh, using alleged, you know, situations where hauntings can exist and put, trying to put a scientific spin on that. And I'll, I'll post that. This is where a couple things came from. I'll post that to the blog. The other theory is the stone tape theory, Chris, and you referenced that too. Popular theories among paranormal investigators. This theory suggests that limestone, quartz, and uh, mag- magnetite deposits can mm-hmm. store information such as historical events in the form of energy. And when that residual energy is released, there's speculation that maybe some kind of tape loop almost, if you want to think about it from a, like a, a audio tapes cassette or something, yeah. something is happening. And you're familiar with this, are you not, Chris? Yeah, uh, and I, I do want to point out, um, just so people if people are like, man, this, this Chris dude must be a loop. I don't <laughs> actually believe in ghosts, but I want to believe. Right. I, I, I fall there too. Travis, you'll see a, a thing right behind me that says it's a it's a UFO poster from X Files. Says I want to believe, and that's true because I, I'm in that uh, situation where I don't believe, and it takes me a, it takes a lot for me to to say, wow, that okay, that's something. Uh, I do want to say this. I, I might be a little off subject, but I'm going to say this. I do I do ghost hunt. I will be the first to tell you that when I go ghost hunting in a location, I will say. You need to pick me up and throw me if you want me to believe that you're here. 
Uh, that's the, that's where I'm at because the only way I'm ever going to believe it is if it's literally something that extreme that's going to be happening. Now to go back with your thought though is is there is a lot of points to that. Uh, the idea of water is always a big point. I, I told you a couple days ago that I've probably investigated close, if not over, to a hundred different locations, uh, and I would say probably ninety percent of those locations are either on a river or within maybe a half a mile of a river, and I think that. Really really says a lot. Uh, and then also, uh, ironically, I was just at a house yesterday, uh, and it is an old block house, like an old quarry limestone house. Right. And they have tons and tons of activity happening in this house. Uh, and it's literally got limestone surrounding the whole house. That's what the foundation is, and that's what the walls are, even. Um, so it, it really gives me a lot, of, it gives a lot of credence to the idea of, of those two theories being very prevalent in, in the idea of paranormal uh, activity. Activity. And um, yeah, especially you mentioned residual. The residual has to do with the tape loop theory. And uh, yeah, so I could definitely see if you are applying this to this folklore situation, the ingredients are kind of there. Uh, maybe not so much from the limestone because, and I, I would have to ask a, a, a fellow geologist friend of mine that knows a lot more about this than I do. I don't think you're going to have a lot of limestone in those bottoms as you would on the cl- uh, closer to the uh, the sides and the bluffs area. Sure. The bluffs is where most of your limestone stones at so you're looking at in our situation where where we were at you're looking at probably a good seven miles five miles away from that i think that'd be a little too extensive and extreme but literally water is is 150 yards away so i mean and then you go back to the idea of water was definitely could be a conduit for that activity so yeah i mean it's it makes sense a little bit from a paranormal standpoint one other aspect to cover from the paranormal side i guess this ghost light concept isn't r- unique to Quincy. This is a pretty natural occurring thing. No, I won't say natural, but this is well documented across the country and across the world. And some of these mysterious lights are associated with Native American spirits. Uh, it's worth mentioning that that whole bottom area north of Quincy did have a Native American population. They lived there. They died there. Uh, I believe there's actually mounds somewhere in that area. Uh, could it be a spirit of a Native American? I, you know, I don't know. It mm-hmm. seems unlikely. We're just we're covering both sides of what this could be here. So that is what I have for potential paranormal. But wait, yeah, Travis, is it less? Is it is that less likely of a scenario than the two that you proposed or the three, even with your your hemp smoking buddy? <laughs> are are those are those is the idea of it being a Native American spirit less likely than those other possibilities? I don't think so. I think I think it would just one one angle of an of a, uh, still still some kind of a paranormal. Um, sure, but yeah, it, it does seem to have reason there everything you could make a case for is possible i i mentioned this uh, to you and i'm going to mention again one of the most i believe one of the most haunted probably the number two most haunted place in quincy is woodland cemetery really uh and the thing about that is and i didn't really process it till just a few years ago the reason why that may be the case the mausoleum is crazy haunted go on youtube if you are not aware of this stuff go on youtube and look up quincy mausoleum there are some insane videos on there of actual activity happening in that mausoleum however i didn't realize until a few years ago of what's just across the street from the quincy <laughs> woodland museum or mausoleum right 
and, right. and that is Indian grounds or Indian mounds. So again, it goes back to the idea of how, what kind of activity is happening in these mound, mounded areas where the Native Americans are resting uh, that is kind of pulsating out from that area. And not, not just resting, Chris, but even, even early settlements of the Native Americans down along the riverfront. Most of the time, from what I understand, they spent time there, but when the river got high, they would res- kind of go up on the bluffs and live and re- kind of move locations. So it's not a stretch at all to believe that there was a lot of Native American activity on that bluff right there. So, you know, there's something there. I, 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 I think you're probably alluding to this or getting ready to get into this, uh, but that's one of the things that me and you were talking about was I would be very curious if there is somebody in the community, uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you may know somebody that knows about the local uh, Native American, uh, you know, ancestry, the Native American traditions in this area, knows about some of that stuff. We would love to talk to them. One of the questions I have for you, and I think you're getting ready to get to that, and you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, is uh, about some of the other lights throughout the area. Like, not in our area necessarily, but there's there's other yeah. significant areas that are showing these. I mean, the first one I think of is the Joplin Spook Light. That's one of the more famous ones. This is in an area just crossing the Missouri... Uh, border into Oklahoma. It's also referred to as the Hornet Spook Light. And this has been occurring for years, and it's pretty reliable. Uh, it's basically you go on, on... It used to be an old country road. Now I believe it's paved, more a little more non-rural. Country. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And and if you park on a certain road, there will allegedly be a light that will appear and come towards you. So that that's just one of many. I'll try to get some. I'll get some examples of others and post them so you can kind of look and see and see what unique properties exist between some and what the commonalities are. The thought of a basketball-sized light—that's not rare. That's pretty common. But Travis, I want to ask you this question: You did a lot of research into some of these other yeah. phenomena that are happening throughout the country. Here's the thing, with an urban legend or any sort of folklore tale, it's not uncommon that multiple areas have the same story. Absolutely. Um, We've talked about that, like, you've heard the story about if you're on this railroad crossing and you put talcum powder on the back of your car, the car starts moving to push you off the tracks because... uh, 15 kids died during an accident on a school bus. Sure. That is actually a very, probably one of the most common folklore Ev- stories everywhere. across the United it's, States. And Crybaby Bridge is another. Yeah. yeah. But Travis, let me ask you this. Did you ever come across anywhere else that having a light on a levee The is a levee story? is different. Typically, it revolves around a road or a railroad track or just a mysterious spot in the sky above trees. So the levy component is unique, Chris, as far as what I've been able to see. And from it being that concept, again, you called it an urban legend when we first started talking. But in all honesty, it might not be an urban legend because there's not other stories that have been made throughout the years of this levy light that True. is crossing out. We're not seeing those stories in other communities or anywhere else in the it United States. It shares commonalities. I think I think it could still be yeah. classified, but it does have unique a unique spin. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Now we've we've dabbled here in the paranormal, Chris, of what, what yeah. maybe what wildly ideas potentially it could be if you want to believe in the paranormal. If you don't want to go that route, you think that's crazy, well let's try and look at this from another perspective. There's things that exist in this world that happen. Think about the Northern Lights. If you didn't know what was happening with the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis, you'd think that was crazy voodoo. It's a natural occurring phenomenon. 
things exist that have a scientific explanation. One thing which is always thrown out whenever there's cases of UFOs or mysterious lights is swamp gas. Uh, <laughs> another term you hear is will-o'-the-wisp. And I thought this was just BS for the longest time, Chris. Like, oh, that's just a, a blanket statement people throw yeah. out. Swamp gas. That's not even real. Uh, turns out it is. It's rare, but it's possible for methane gas to form in decaying organic matter that's in stagnant water. And what happens is this bubbles up to the surface, and these gases are flammable. And hmm. when an ignition source is presented, this can actually combust into you know a little fireball. And a lot of people are like, okay, well that's great, but what's the ignition source here? Yeah, well, right. They've done they've done research, and in some cases, uh, phosphine is a gas that can be occurring with the methane gas. And phosphine, when it comes into when it, it comes in contact with uh, oxygen in some capacity it can create combustion Hmm. just spontaneous combustion so is that a long shot absolutely all this is but it does put a box around this to maybe there is a lot of wet areas down there you know i wouldn't call it a swamp by any stretch of the imagination but I imagine, you know, if you imagine a flood situation, water collects, and if there's enough of a trickle or a source where there's not running water down there, could you have a, a organic matter collecting? Possibly. It's unlikely, I think. Let's talk about the next potential. Ball lightning. This is a well, pretty... Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Let me step back, Travis. If you... I've done this, and we're going to have an episode coming up in a, probably a couple months about this subject, but... If you look at UFO reports from the from like the FBI and stuff, sure. especially in the '60s, they always it's either Swamp well gas. it was the it was the it was Jupiter uh, in, in the sky, or it was swamp gas. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm concerned for my life. Seriously, if this is how 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 common swamp gas is, we are all in trouble because this stuff is all around. <laughs> Fireballs everywhere, Chris. Exactly. Fireballs everywhere. We should be seriously concerned about Run this. Run for your dang life. Um, no, it's it's a it's well. It, I found it real interesting just to hear about it, though. That like, wow, that's crazy. That that yeah. it's actually real. Um, yeah. I think the the actual occurrence of this is ex- probably extremely rare. Exactly. It's just like what you're getting ready to say. <laughs> I've never seen the next thing either. Yeah. Ball lightning is another very dicey phenomenon that there's a lot of debate from a scientific standpoint if it is actually real. Those who argue for its existence uh, claim to have witnessed a bright hissing orb ranging from four to eight inches in diameter, well, they got the size about right, of a basketball, mm-hmm. that may occur during certain meteorological conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, often the conditions have to be right. Often, le- yeah. <laughs> often levitating above the ground and moving regardless of wind intensity or direction can allegedly present itself in many colors, including white, orange, and red. So mm-hmm. on paper, that looks pretty good, Chris, but I think the actual documented cases of ball lightning are pretty rare. Yeah, I, I, again, you, you, as you listen to this podcast, you're probably going to get to know my background a lot better. <laughs> Chris uh, has done I, it all, my, folks. 
Yeah, one of my other passions. I mean, I, I ghost hunting's interesting to me just from a, a, a aspect of wanting to know. Like everybody, everybody wants to know. But for me, another one of my passions, and, and maybe why you've maybe seen me in the past or have heard me in the past, because I've done a lot of weather. Um, and I used to, when I worked at WGM, I, I helped in when we had severe weather. I, I did storm chasing for WGM. I had we, uh, me and another fellow WGM employee used to have a Facebook page where we used to do live weather updates uh, during severe weather. So I, I get the severe weather aspects a little bit. I did dig into the ball lightning stuff. I've heard cool stories about ball lightning. You know, right. one of them was about um, that it went through this house, actually went through the screen door and b- burned a hole through the screen yeah. door and then went out the other wall um i believe in ball lightning that's probably even more extreme though and especially it's 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 gonna be very very rare for that ever to occur and probably most all of us will never experience that in our lives uh But I and do not, believe not it's all of real. us will be go down yeah. at the levee at the right time of night. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, but but ball lightning and I, Travis, I may be wrong and correct me if I am. I thought ball lightning had to more. You had to have more atmospheric conditions, such as a thunderstorm, for ball lightning to exist. Am I wrong? Uh, no, I don't think you're wrong. They definitely okay. allude to certain meteorological conditions needing to okay. be present. So that probably is a very blanket statement that covers loosely what you're thinking i would imagine okay okay yeah. sure okay so that all right so yeah go ahead <laughs> we got ball lightning, lightning and swamp yes i'm having a hard time those, with these so far but keep going those <laughs> are the more like skeptics really reaching <laughs> really yeah. reaching for something like well maybe maybe <laughs> here's a couple rational explanations for what's happening car headlights okay optical illusions there are some of these ghost lights which some people believe have been debunked the Joplin spook light spook light being one where they believe that the elevation points between two areas are significant enough that car headlights are actually what people are seeing is actually the illusion of those car headlights reflecting off the ass or well off the ground because it wasn't mm-hmm. always an asphalt paved road and it's actually explained from like a car that's like 15 miles away sure and, yeah. you know, you think car headlights, well, there's two headlights. Why wouldn't you see two balls? Well, you know, obviously I don't want to be, I'm not Mr. Scientist here, but over a certain distance, those two individual beams of a headlight will merge together into one. And, you know, from everything I found, this isn't scientific, but trying to go down this road, it looks like 12 to 15, you know, 5, 10, 15 miles is kind of the area where those two light beams become more of one source. So who knows? Maybe there's an element there. Less and less thinking that's the case here. And we'll get into those details in a minute, Chris. Uh, Another theory is maybe we're right by the river, maybe like a tugboat. If you've ever seen a tugboat going down the river, it has a massive searchlight that it can use when it's guiding barges. And if you just stand down by Clad Adams Park near the river where there's you know no brush or anything, you can see that boat coming for miles, Chris. That Try crossing a bridge when one's yes. flashing a light up on it. It's It'll blind you. <laughs> massively powerful light. Yes. So are, is that light somehow getting through those tree lines, reflecting, bouncing off that levee potentially? Is something happening there? Eh, or maybe. the water below it. That's true. It could be doing yeah. that. Or I think I think where maybe is most possible, somebody is just screwing with people. <laughs> somebody paid a friend to go down a couple miles, get a big flashlight, and just screw with people. That seems like sometimes the most 
uh, rational explanation is the easiest to explain. <laughs> it's a, I don't know. What What do you think? If those are the well, variables, what do you think? Uh, so okay, yeah. Before I get to my next comment, none. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, one of the things I also thought of uh, and was maybe train lights. Train lights could be a play too if it's directional. The problem I have with any sort of light is that. It never gets concentrated. It has right. to be a specific location for you to have it as a beam. Otherwise, it's just going to be a spread of light. That's a great uh, point. That's Chris. spread out into an area. You literally have to be looking directly at that beam, which means that that beam of light has to be in the perfect location, straight down the levee, to be able to be seen. Yeah. So that becomes a problem with any sort of light source, in my opinion. So, and I do think. The least likely thing, uh, maybe these are all pretty least likely in my opinion, but another one of those would have to do with the, somebody screwing around. I, I mean, chances are, if you have that much time on your hands, there's something we got to talk about oh, because I don't know. there's so many kids going out there and experiencing this in the late 90s that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that somebody would just be like, oh, look, look, Joey and Billy or Joey and Bobby are out there and let's go, let's go take care of them and scare them. Well, I think someone would have come forward as being, I, you know, I'm actually the Levy Walker guys. That wasn't me the whole time. Yeah, yeah, right, right. But yeah. what is strange to me, Chris, I don't know of anybody over the age of 40 who has... That's because they have lives. <laughs> you think so? Well, who, I mean, who was younger then at that time? Like, when they were, you know, a teenager, I've yet to hear anybody who is older than, like, 40s. You know, we're, we're coming up on 40, Chris. Anybody much older than us who has stories about this. And I don't know... Here's if, the reason. Yes, go ahead. Travis, here's the reason. They, first of all, have a life. Secondly, <laughs> they don't have to leave home to drink. That's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> That's why you're never going to hear stories from anyone over the age of 21. You know, us not being on TikTok and all the Snapchats, <laughs> we I don't know about the younger generations, Chris. I don't know if people are still, teenagers are still going down there. I don't know if this is still even a legend. I don't even know if, if high schoolers know about this now. What are, yeah. you, what are your thoughts? Have you heard? You haven't Probably heard not. Yeah. Well, I didn't hear much about it until you brought it up. Yeah. Uh, even and this has been probably back in January, beginning of twenty twenty one, when you brought this up to me, and I had never heard of it back then. Actually, I took it and compared it. Go, I kind of mixed up my folklore stories and <laughs> thought it was actually had something to do with the kids pushing the the car right. Um, right. across the levee. And I think now that I think about it, and I'll have to ask my buddy, uh, a good friend of mine, Matt Stahl, I'll have to ask him down the road because me and him did a lot of crazy stuff when we were in high school together. But I think we've gone to that location with that mindset. With a different, of testing a different the, urban legend. Yeah, yeah. That, well, this is happening at this levee, so we need to park on top of the levee, and it's going to push us off the levee. So that was our mindset. So, so you're so telling me we're going to have to swing back down there, Chris. Yeah, we need some talcum powder, and we need to put the car in neutral. Um, yeah, but yeah, so I again, I, it's interesting, but on the other hand, a folklore story, an urban legend, stands the test of time, and you're always going to hear about it. Yeah. I think it's very odd that it seemed like this had a expiration date on it. Right. From the sounds of it. Yeah. It sounded like it was a late 90s thing, and then boom, it's gone. Which makes me think, it really makes me think, Travis, that this this may not be in the urban legend category. Okay, okay, that's interesting. Well, Chris, we've speculated. We've yes. gone through, heard firsthand accounts, did some digging on possible things. But there is no equal 
to doing the work yourself, Chris. And that's why we loaded up, <laughs> had a delicious dinner at Sprouts, and headed down only, what, a couple nights ago, down yeah. to the very spot of the contentious, contentious issue of the Levy Walker. We spent a good, what, two, three hours sitting in the yeah, bed of your pickup, staring down pitch black at the uh, the Levy. And we didn't see anything, did we? Well, no, we did. I know. We saw we saw a meteor streak across the sky, which was the coolest thing I ever saw. That was cool. And we also may have saw a UFO, but I'm pretty sure it was the planet Jupiter. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> but Chris, it's crazy to think that we would have seen any kind of mysterious lights, right? Crazy, crazy, or maybe not. That's maybe right. not crazy. We might have maybe seen a couple did. things. What did what did we well, see? Yeah, I'll, I'll, let me fill you in. So one of the weird things, and, and honestly, I think Travis and I, Travis will agree with this. We saw some white, like quick specks of light, and we both of us never could connect those together as as it being something. So, I, in my opinion, Travis, I think you're gonna agree with me, is that probably that was our eyes playing tricks on us. Yeah, I would I would suspect yes. It it looked to someone to like to explain it, it was similar to like a lightning bug almost. If it was further yes. away in like a pure white, not kind of a yellowish in, yes. is what I saw. However, yes. Right after I would say it's probably total darkness. Right after the sunset, there's no ambient light. Right at that point in time, we had something very crazy happen. We were both looking down the levee to the north, uh, and I saw what looked like an orangish red light. I couldn't tell the size, but it looked like it was kind of behind the grass on the... So if you're looking to the north, it's on the left side, closest to the river on the levee. Uh, it sat there, and I said, Travis, 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 I see something. Yeah. And he, Travis, you looked, and, and what did you see? I yeah, I think it's clear that Chris has better eyesight than Travis does. But no, I definitely saw a fuzzy red light. This you know in that same area. So it sat in the, again comparing those white lights to what we saw. The white lights were like like blips. boom gone. Yeah, just a blip. They were just real real quick blips. This one stood around and we I mean I wasn't counting it, but I would say at least for 4 to 5 seconds this light stuck around yeah it was long enough to really to really make us go what the what the f what the f yeah what the f yeah it moved yes uh that's the other important part of this the light this reddish more reddish than red than orange yeah, but agree. a reddish orange light moved up like slowly from the like bottom left to top right and it kind of faded out and just disappeared as soon as it hit the top of the levee now travis after when we were getting ready to leave we had no comparison, and, and when you're out there, you're in the bottoms in Adams County, you cannot get any idea for, for distance. Distance is a pain yes. in the butt when it's all flat land. Right. Um, so what I ended up doing was I like, you know, I was like, screw it, I'm going to walk down the levee and kind of get an idea of how far that is. So I walked down, and I everyone it was complete darkness. I, every once in a while, I turned back around to Travis and said, Travis, show me your light so I could see how yeah. far it was away. I got to about 75 yards, about 150 yards, and I had him turn on his light. I was like, man, this is pretty far. And it looked like it was probably within 150 to 200 yards, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I could be hard way to off. gauge. Hard to gauge. It's very hard to gauge, but kind of where I was at and where I could see Travis at, 
that's kind of where it was at. But it was so unique, and I I don't know where you go, want to go from that, Travis. I but think we, uh, we didn't have cameras. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, too dark to do, and too, not bright enough to even show up on in the very limited yeah. hardware we had. Yeah, you know, Chris. Unfortunately, we're running a little low on time, but I'm not. We're not done with this. We're gonna run through this, compare it to the possible explanations we covered, and see what we think. There's a lot more discussion to be had. We've we've told you what we saw, and we're gonna take yeah. we're gonna take the breakdown. We're gonna move it over to Patreon. You, you know what we saw, but if you want to really get down in the details, come join us on our Patreon site. Chris, what's the website for that? Do you remember off the top of your head? Uh, yeah, patreon.com slash wildquincy. And we'll have this also posted on our Facebook page, too. So if if you're on Facebook and, and you maybe you remember this back in the 90s or maybe you have a story more recent that you want to sell us about, yeah. uh, do that. We will tell you that we're not going to give away the specific location, not because we're jerks, but just because we don't want a lot of people getting into the area. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a public area. Maybe someday we will, but at this point in time, we don't want to cause any headaches for for local law that's, enforcement or anything like that. That's a fantastic point, Chris. We strongly, strongly, strongly discourage trespassing. We did a lot of research on the locations we were going to go to, made sure we understood the who owned the land, the right-of-ways, if it was public property. Don't just go blindly walking down the levees, guys. That is a recipe for danger and, and disaster. Very much danger, um, yes. <laughs> so do not go doing that. Leave the crazy stuff to us. And if you're really hell-bent on doing it, let us know, and maybe we can, you know, educate you a little bit on, on potential points of interest. Or go with you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> We'd love to see if you get something, though. And we don't want yeah, to know yeah. where you were at or how, what, leave the details out. But no, yeah. seriously, don't go do anything stupid. Exciting stuff, Travis. The Levy Walker, definitely one of the most interesting folklore legends there is in the Quincy area. Maybe not a folklore legend, maybe reality, but we'll have to find that out maybe in the future. So that is a look at the Levy Walker. We'll have more for you coming up next here on Wild Quincy. <laughs> Things a little different. Some folks think we even talk different. Main thing is, we sell quality American made boots by the likes of Tony Lama and such. Tony Lama's are made from exotic leathers like ostrich, lizard, even alligator, and shark. Right now, most Tony Lama's are on sale, and Boyers will even give you a free $20 gift certificate for every pair you buy. You can put them on layaway for Christmas, too. Being different ain't so bad, <laughs> as long as you're good at it. And Boyers offer on Tony Lama boots is the best. Travis, there's something new that we haven't had. It's a uh, throwback ad for a business that's still in business. They've stood the test of time and and good forum. Boyer's Shoe Repair in Quincy, right there on uh, thirty, close to thirty six in Broadway. Travis, uh, I did not know this about you, and I've known you for a long time. <laughs> uh, just to give a little bit behind the scenes here, we always talk about what throwback ad we're going to do before we do it. And I told Travis we were doing Boyer's, and Travis is like, "Oh yeah, I bought boots from there before." I'm like, "Travis, you wear boots?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, strange, right? No, I, I a couple years back, I'll tell you what happened. Is I, uh, for Halloween, my son wanted to be a cowboy when he was like three, and I got to thinking, why don't I have cowboy boots? I don't, you don't have to ride a horse. <laughs> I could have cowboy boots, and so for the heck of it, I went and got a pair of cowboy boots from Boyers, and they were extremely comfortable, Chris. And mm. I really took to them, and a new passion was born. 
And I acquired several more pair over time. <laughs> and uh, got to tell you, I bought a few there at Boyer's. Once you break in a pair of cowboy boots, that is some good living. Good, clean, city living in cowboy boots, Chris. I uh, Two things. I've never heard anybody say that before. It's the first. Uh, it's Wild. a first. The second thing is, is that I'm kind of I'm not the cow. I'm not a cowboy boots. I grew up on the farm, and I did not. I wore cowboy boots once uh, when I showed pigs at the fair at the Adams County Fair. Uh, that was like a thing to look all dressed up when you were showing sure. showing pigs. Sure. So I had my cowboy boots then. That was the only time I ever wore cowboy boots. I never wore them again. But I always wanted to wear a cowboy hat. Mm. I think cowboy hats mm. are so cool. Yeah. But I'll tell you what: if you wear glasses and a cowboy no. hat, you look like a total geek. Dork. I'll tell you that right. <laughs> Total it dork. does not. It does not work. No, unless you're like over sixty, then you can pull it off. Maybe. And I did start just wearing contacts in the last couple of <laughs> years, so I haven't gone down the process. But I really someday want to wear a cowboy. Well, there that, there are so rules cool. of manliness, Chris. I don't really adhere to any of those. <laughs> I don't know how to use a hammer most times. But one oh. one golden rule that I do adhere to that I've heard is no more than one Western accoutrement. Her outfit, <laughs> so you can do the cowboy boots, but you can't do the cowboy hat. You, or or vice versa. The, yeah, you yeah. gotta pick and choose. But I like the cowboy boot. <laughs> I, I don't tuck my pants in. That's a little over the top, Chris. It's, yeah. it's kind of like it's kind of like wearing exciting underwear. I would imagine. Like you, you don't see the upper of the boot, right? So man, you know, business on the on the, yeah. the foot, party on the shin. Um, that's, how, that's how I roll. <laughs> Wow, uh, wow. Um, Lots so of I was, let me, there, Chris. Yeah, I, I'm hard to pa- hard to move on from that, but I'm gonna try. Paint a picture. Um, Sorry, <laughs> I want to see you wear cowboy boots with the with your pants tucked in. <laughs> I've done it once. Yeah. I I did it for all the right reasons, Chris. Yeah, no, I, my day job finds me in an agricultural world, sometimes out in a big mud hole. And uh, when, oh, I, when yeah, I was afraid yeah. to get my feet all my sure, cuff no, leg, no. I went, I went, boot, I went. Yeah, I, I also it. ripped my pants one time in the middle of Missouri, but that's a whole. Yeah, that that'll have to be a Patreon. Um, well, you're gonna tell that on Patreon. That's so Chris's Christmas way of saying, shut up, Travis. I'm trying to close the show. <laughs> Um, Christmas comes up. You're buying me a cowboy hat. I'm buying cowboy boots. That's finished. Uh, let's tell you about Boyers. Uh, the reason I brought this up is, first of all, because of a, a gentleman who did a lot of their ads. You heard him do the ad. Uh, I, I, I can't, but I feel bad. I think it's Slim. Is, slim. is that the name? Yeah. That's I don't know if it's Cowboy Slim or just Slim. Slim. Uh, slim. So he's done a ton of those, uh, which is really cool. But I want to tell you a little bit about Boyers. Boyers has been around since 1920, Travis. Wow. Uh, so over 100 years now that they've been in existence. They are uh, not only a third, not a fourth, but a fifth generation shoe cobbler, which is so cool to keep it That's in the amazing. family like that. So so hats off to them. Uh, it says here, uh, uh, it says our store is widely known for the lovable cowboy character Slim. Slim has appeared in our TV advertisements for over 25 years. <laughs> Slim wears an extremely long hand handlebar mustache and gets himself into a lot of mischief. So uh, one of the beautiful ads growing up. I always loved that to see uh, Slim on those uh, Boyer's TV ads. So very cool. And Travis, I do want to point out one other thing. Maybe you can help me with this. I, I know you'll remember it. Uh, but do you remember what was right next to uh, Boyer's? Do I ever, Chris? It was <laughs> Red Barn Putt-Putt, if memory serves. Some great... Great mini golf action going on there. I love the loop de loop. 
Yeah. Uh, there were two courses, if memory serves. I oh, keep really? cutting you off. Yeah, there was a red and a blue. No, 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 you're blue. fine. There was a red and a blue. One was, I think it's supposed to be more difficult, if I remember right. Best mm. dang ice cream cones, man. That was a great <sighs> Sunday. You know, Pops would take us in, do some mini golf, eat some ice cream cone. That's that's good, clean living in my cowboy boots. <laughs> when did that, it wasn't, I'm going to say this, and it's a bold statement, but that may have been one of the saddest store closures I've ever seen in the city of Quincy. Because you just, saw that that's closed, it's that empty lot just haunted you. Like <laughs> so much fun memories happen yes. there. Yes. But I believe, and someone may have to correct me on this. I believe some of the putt putt obstacles on the courses was actually sold to the park district and reincorporated and into their uh, their mini mm. golf course out there in uh, Mormon Park, Upper Wavering. Yeah. I would love. Uh, I, I've never heard that. If anybody knows about that, I would love to know the information about that. I think somewhere down the road, not this season, probably next season, we're going to have hopefully somebody from the Quincy Park District on uh, because we have a lot of interesting stuff we want to get into about the parks in Quincy, and maybe we can ask them a question. So Chris, we need to write that down and remember that. Chris, yes, I think we need to get our patrons out and have a wild Quincy mini golf tournament. I just raised my hands in the air in agreement. I totally agree. That is our next outing, right? Our first outing is a putt-putt golf day. I love it. Love it. Look into it, folks. Yes. And speaking of things we love, Travis. Yes. We have the merchandise store out now. Oh, boy, do we, Chris. It's been a long time cooking but it is hot and ready to serve get to it go to wildquincy.com and smash the merch button on the top nav merch button if you're on a phone there's a little it looks like a hamburger three lines on top of each other you want to click that and that'll show you the navigation in case you're not super savvy and that's okay but click (laughs) on that merch button that'll take you to all the goodies and chris what i have done because this levy walker is so special in my heart and maybe yours too i have created a special shirt about the Levy Walker, uh. exclusive to Wild Quincy people, or whoever wants to buy it, I guess. Become a part of the Levy Walker Survivors Club. You were, <laughs> you were brave enough to, to face the Levy Walker face-to-face, and you live to tell the tale. You're not a true Quincyan until you have this. I've said it. So, yeah, we'll post links. We'll feature it. You'll have your opportunity to become the... Uh, the talk of the town in your new Larry Walker go. shirt. That's a conversation starter right there. So make sure to yeah, check buddy. that out. A merch store is really cool. We've had a lot of people buying mugs and buying shirts. And I've been looking at the polo and I haven't hit the buy button yet, <laughs> but I'm hoping to get that polo pretty soon. So yeah, check it out. A lot of cool stuff at the merch store. Uh, it helps us out. And like I said, also with Patreon helps us out as well. So if you, you like what you hear and you, you enjoy listening to wild Quincy, help us out in those ways. And Travis, we are, running short on time but we have one little piece of the puzzle to finish up this episode and that would be the question of the day of course lay it on us again chris all right so here we go the question of the day is this when was quincy's first fire department founded was it 1838 1866 1895 or 1925 travis any guesses well i imagine the infrastructure of a city you gotta jump on that stuff pretty quick so i'm gonna say 1836 chris uh, 1838 uh, was well, that well, number. That's what I meant, of course. Yes. But that is correct. Yes. I told you this was a softball. Yes. You got it. So congratulations. But I did the a little... first one I've gotten in like three <laughs> episodes. Yes. 
So I, I did throw a little trickery into this, though, because the other dates do have some correlation to the fire department, Quincy. Uh, just really quick rundown. 1866, the first steam engine was put into fleet in Quincy. 1895, unfortunately, uh, a gentleman by the name of Perry Hensaker became the first Quincy Fire Department firefighter killed in the line of duty. And uh, 1925 was the move to the central fire station for okay. the city of Quincy. So a little bit of uh, dates to go with those. So there's your question of the day. Well, Chris, bridge the gap. Why are we talking about fires? Because that's our next subject, fire, in oh. exclamation point at the end. Uh, we're hoping to have a special guest on. We haven't got it locked down yet, but we're really hoping that we're going to have a special guest on to talk about fires in Quincy throughout the years. You've heard about the Newcomb Hotel that just happened a few years ago, but there's been other very large incidents. Famous uh, fires think, in the history. Huh? Uh, in explosions, for that matter. Wow. Uh, Travis, just uh, last week you talked about the explosion at uh, the brewery. So right. um, there's other things that we're going to talk about besides the fires but there's been some big ones out throughout the history of Quincy there's also been a rich history of the fire departments in Quincy so we're going to dig into that it's simply called fire exclamation point for our (laughs) next episode of wild Quincy Travis are we missing anything I think we've uh, crossed the T's, dotted the I's, and ready to send this off. All right. Well, that'll do it. We appreciate you being here on Wild Quincy. We'll catch you on the Wild Thing side and the uh, After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. But for right now, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman, that's it. Thanks for joining us here on Wild Quincy. Take care, everybody.